of many witnesses. Uh, did, did Paul mean that Timothy literally had to go to war and other to be a Christian? Of course not. But rather he pulled from uh, something that Timothy would have known about. From those who were reading this letter would have known about. Therefore Paul used a war analogy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Paul says you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now again are we ever called to be into a literal army that's going to go out and go on a crusade and conquer uh, another country or another group of people or another religion? Of course not. And that's not what God called Christians to do. But the analogy worked. The parable worked. The example worked. And so Paul tells uh, Timothy to be a good soldier of Christ. Going on in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so we see Paul here in 1 Corinthians comparing Christianity to boxing. Paul here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 comparing Christianity to being a soldier in a war. And who am I to disagree with Paul? Who am I to disagree with the Holy Spirit inspiring these writings? We see in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, letter C, that Christianity can be compared to a journey. Hebrews 11 and verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who died in faith were considered to be strangers and pilgrims. It's not fun to be somewhere where you don't know anyone, is it? I mean, even when you go on vacation, you're there on purpose. You know someone there, even if it's just the person at the front desk at the hotel that's checking you in. But it's no fun when you look up and you're in an area and you can't see anyone that you recognize. The first year we took Jace up to Pee Wee Camp at, at West Kentucky Youth Camp, Jace found himself surrounded by strangers. Amber and I, the adults, had cleanup duty in the cafeteria. Jace was playing ping pong, perfectly content. Everything's going to be just fine. So Amber and I go into the kitchen to wash dishes. Literally, the distance is about from here to the foyer out there. If we leaned and looked, we'd still see our child, but Jace couldn't see us. But he did see Michael McDaniel, and, and one of the most quoted quotes that Michael and I say to each other now, Jace came up with the most sad look on his face, and he said, have you seen my mom and dad? Michael said, no, but I'm sure they're here somewhere. And Jace, at about four or five at the time, just shook his head and said, I'm a lost child. <laughs> just as sorrowful. Was in a room full of strangers. Wasn't any fun, was it, Jace? Wasn't where he wanted to be. Amber and I went on a mission trip to Peru. We were in Lima, Peru, a population about the size of, uh, of New York City. We went to another little area called Parcona, and it was a population about the size of Limble. Uh, and in that area, we had a problem with our, our hotel room. The commode wouldn't, wouldn't flush. There was some malfunction. And so I went down to the front desk to find some of our group because no one in this little town spoke English. And so I needed to find some of our group. But we were staying at a hotel with other people not part of our group. So I didn't know which room to go to. Uh, called the front desk for help. And they said, hola. And then that ended that conversation because uh, I didn't know where to go from there. And, and so got to the front desk to talk to them. Thought surely somebody, nobody in the lobby. We were alone in an area full of strangers. 
remembered about three words from Spanish class, baño and problemo, and they got it taken care of, but my heart sank because I was surrounded by strangers. Church, how do you feel as a Christian in the world? I'd submit to you, we're a little too comfortable in the world today. The Christians don't feel as out of place as Jace did when he didn't know where his parents were at West Kentucky Youth Camp. Christians, that's us, today don't feel as uncomfortable when we walk out of those doors and we go into the, the world of Mayfield. We don't feel as uncomfortable as Amber and I did at the front desk of uh, the Hotel de Parcona down in Peru. We don't have that same feeling of being a stranger or a pilgrim or a sojourner. As a matter of fact, we say things like, we are at home. Listen, I'm not criticizing you for saying that. I say that too. But church, are we at home? I hope not. We sing that song, don't we? This world is not my, what? Home. I'm just a passing through. Do we believe that? In Hebrews, we compare our life on this earth to a journey where we're pilgrims and strangers. Letter D, in the Bible, the act of being a Christian, the, the, the Christianity that's being taught about, the Christianity that you and I are practicing is compared to a race. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the race that we're being called to run. Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2, and I appreciate JT reading that for us. We see that analogy of like one that's in the arena and the running of the race is taking place and there's spectators cheering us on, a great cloud of witnesses. And so this evening, let's examine what the author here would want us to consider regarding our Christian life as a race. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, also alludes to Christianity as being a race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So church, tonight, let's look at why. Why would the inspired writers compare Christianity to a race? Well, we've got five reasons here that I feel like the inspired writers would do that. Five things that you and I can apply to our lives to make sure that we're actively running the race that we as Christians should be running. The first of those, it's number two on your outline. You and I must be prepared. We must be prepared if we're going to run this race. Now, I know a thing or two about being prepared and being unprepared for running a race. Uh, when I played basketball in high school, we were prepared to run races. And so after I graduated, decided to run the 5K and, and was prepared and conditioned and did it. I told you all the story a while back. This year, went back to Fancy Farm, ran the 5K, unprepared, totally different experience. <laughs> a five out of five, do not recommend uh, deciding the night before to go down there and do that. It's not pleasant. When you run a race, anybody with any intelligence about them would not do it unprepared you would make the necessary preparations to run the race. We're going down there, and the boys are talking, and they're excited, and they ran the little fun run, and, and then I got ready to run mine. And, Daddy, do you think you're going to win? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know for a fact I'm not going to win. Do you think you're going to finish? And for the first time, like, it don't, you know, I, don't, <laughs> I might not. Well, why was I not sure whether or not I would finish the race? Because I was unprepared. There had been no training. I can promise you it wasn't near as much fun as the times I had run it before when I was prepared. So you and I have got to be prepared before we set out on this race that is the Christian 
race. Look over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. It's the only time all night I'm going to ask you to turn somewhere. I hope you turn everywhere with me, but I'm asking you at this one, turn over to Luke 14 if you don't mind. If you do mind, don't, but I wish you would. Turn to Luke 14 and read with me verses 25 through 33 because there might be some tonight that are considering becoming a Christian. There might be some tonight weighing the options. What's keeping me from being a child of God? Should I give it any serious thought or should I just become a Christian and give it no thought? Well, Luke 14, 25 through 33 says you better think about it. You better be prepared to become a Christian. Before you run a race, a, a physical race, you better prepare. Church, before you become a Christian, you need to prepare. Read what it says. Verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not set down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is able to finish, and is not able to finish, rather, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So I likewise... So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have you considered the cost of becoming a Christian? The changes that must take place in your life to be found faithful and acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. I would submit to you tonight that if you're a Christian and you're thinking there wasn't really any change in my life, Maybe there's a need. Maybe there's some evaluation that needs to take place. You and I must be prepared to live the Christian life. Now, don't go too far, right? Don't take that the wrong way. Don't think, well, I was going to become a Christian, but I don't have all the answers, therefore I must not be prepared. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Don't think you've got to have it all figured out before you become a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Don't think that you've got to change your life first, then become a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Are you prepared to make those changes? Are you prepared to enter a life of service? Are you prepared to study? Are you prepared to become more faithful? Are you prepared? The, the person who's going to run a race first has to prepare. Also, Friday night at the football game, after Josh and I finished our riveting discussion about lawn care, um, moved on and talked to another fella about his upcoming plans to run an Ironman. Y'all ever heard of an Ironman? What all they do? I mean, I've heard, I, it just, I said, how much do you run for that? You know, it's 26.2 miles. I said, oh, you mean a marathon? And he said, well, that's the last of the three parts. I said, well, what are the first two parts? And he said, well, you swim and you ride a bike also. I said, oh, okay, well, you know, it's not, I like to swim. I like to ride my bike. Yeah, I, okay, well, that's all right. I said, well, how long do you swim? And he said, well, I'll be in the water for two hours. How much of that is time spent swimming? Well, it's the whole time. I forgot how many miles he said that he, he swims. He said, then you get out of there and you're feeling good because if you made it out of the water, and he didn't say it jokingly, he said, but if you make it out, that means you didn't drown in the water. And so he said, the swimming part kind of worries me. because, And I said, well, your life jacket, you're not wearing a life jacket. Oh, 
well, then how far do you ride your bicycle? And I forgot the but he said, I'll be on mine for about six hours. I said, do what now? <laughs> six hours riding a bicycle. And I said, well, after that, aren't you? Oh, he said, after that, you're relieved. I said, relieved? I said, but then you've got to run 26.2 miles. He said, yeah, but after the bicycle, the running part's probably not going to kill you. Uh, what? He said, well, on the bicycle, you get to going so fast sometimes, and, you know, there's a real chance if you have a wreck, you could really get hurt bad. At least when you're running, you kind of control all the elements. In the water, you really don't. If you cramp up or something, or on the bicycle, if you get hit or have a wreck. I said, I'm guessing you didn't just decide last week to do this, did you? He'd been training for like three or four years. Prepared to run the race. You see, when he talks about preparation for running a race, preparation for competing, it's a little bit different than old Michael up here <laughs> preparing to go run a small race. Are you prepared to live a Christian life? Number three, unlike his race, unlike my race, the race of a Christian is a race run by faith. We run this race by faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things, and nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. The things that you and I must live our lives for are things that aren't seen. We must be willing to die, even if it would be. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Be faithful even unto death. We must be willing to die for things that we never have seen. Things like heaven, we've never seen heaven. Things like God, we've never been face-to-face -face in the presence of God. We see God around us. We've never been face-to-face -face in the presence of God to be able to see and to understand and to truly behold His power. Uh, Jesus, Calvary, the blood of Christ, all those things never seen. But we must strive for them through faith. We run for a prize, letter A, we run for a prize not seen. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Could you imagine teaching that to a person, explaining that to a person that's never read the Bible, to tell them that I want you to come run a race with me and to be talking about Christianity. I want you to come run a race with me. And the first question they might ask you is, well, how far is the distance? And your answer according to Scripture would be, well, the distance is as far as it takes. What do you mean? I mean, you've got to run until the race is over. Well, when's the race over? It's over at the end. Well, how do you know when you're at the end? Because then it stops. So where's the finish line? There, well, there is no finish line. What do you, are y'all following the I mean, our finish line is death, right? Anybody here tonight know the time and the hour of your death or the time and the hour of when Christ is going to return? I mean, you're going to convince somebody... If we're talking about a physical race tonight, who wants to come with me? Let's go run a race. Where's the finish line? I don't know. How long are we going to be running? I don't know. When are we done? When it's over. Who wants to come with me on that race? In the physical realm, no one's going to sign up to run that race with you. But in the spiritual realm, it's totally different. It's a race run by faith. It's a race run by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame and we could spend the night tonight reading the chapter and talking about all the works of faith. But I like the verses down at the end, verses 32 through 38. And the Hebrews writer gets into some of the lesser known members of the Faith Hall of Fame. And in these verses, just, just, just listen to just those six verses. What more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the enemies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Church, they ran the same race that you and I are trying to run, but man, what a difficult race that they ran. There's some today that teach the promise of a Christian life as a promise of a life without trials. Talked about that this morning, didn't we? The Bible doesn't teach that. Christianity is not a gimmick. Christianity is not something that you sign up for to have your problems disappear. Rather, Christianity is a race that you begin to run for a prize that you've never seen. It requires great faith. Having faith in God doesn't mean that you'll escape the troubles of this world, but rather it ensures that you'll escape the troubles and the problems of the next life of eternity. One of the things that I think makes it so difficult for our American society is this thought of a prize that can't be seen. This thought of, um, I forget the exact phrase, but it's where you don't have instant gratification. It's where you've got to wait for the results. Those weight loss programs, you see them on TV, guaranteed to lose 20 pounds in the first three weeks. Oh, that's quick. I'll do that. Versus the weight loss program where they tell you at the doctor's office what one to two pounds a week to lose is what's healthy. Well, I'm wanting to lose 50 pounds, one to two pounds. Oh, that's going to take forever. <laughs> Pass me the chips. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Hey, I looked this up. If I called you up here tonight on stage and I told you you had a choice, I, I could either um, right now give you a, a Subway sandwich, a $5 uh, foot long. You can have the, the Subway sandwich right now or $2.3 million. Anybody here like Subway enough to take the sandwich? <laughs> I got two. You're going to take the 2.3. Y'all don't have bills yet. That's why you're picking the sandwich. Everybody else would take the $2.3 million, wouldn't you? Well, give, give me the Hey, did you know? I checked the math. I didn't believe it. At 18 years old, if you took $5 a day, $5 a day, and invested it, in a stock, just a mutual fund, had a 10% annual return, $5 a day starting at age 18. By age 68, that's 50 years, by age 68, you'd have $2.3 million. Is that crazy? But I'll take the sub. <laughs> I'll eat out at lunch. I'll do... That's, that's a difference because who thinks about when you put $5 a day in there and you've done it for several months and you look at the account and maybe it's one of those months where the stock market's going in the wrong direction and so you've started doing this and you see the long-term go but a year into it you check back to look and you've got like $1,000. All 
Are you kidding me? This is never going to add up. There's not many people that will stick with something for 50 years. You look at the retirement plans that you invest into. It's difficult when you're young to see the benefit. I had it preached to me. I didn't really get it when I was 18, 19, 23, 30 years old. The importance of starting to save for retirement someday and those sorts of things. Why? Because what we see is the things that take place now. So you look at becoming a Christian. You mean I've got to give up this, 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 and, and what am I doing this for again? For the prize that we have not been seen. For an eternity in heaven. And so we start down the pathway and we see these challenges and we see our friends not having to make sacrifices or we see our co-workers not having to live a certain way or we see our family members ridiculing us for the decisions that we make about spirituality, about being a Christian and we begin to wonder, what's the purpose in all of this? It's for that eternal life. It's for the crown of righteousness. It's for the inheritance that we've never seen. Church, you and I run a race by faith for a prize we haven't seen. Number four, you and I must lay aside every hindrance. We must lay aside every hindrance. And there's two specific examples that J.T. read for us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1 where the Hebrews writer says to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I'll be honest, until I'm preparing for this lesson, I had always just assumed that laying aside every way, this is talking about sin, just lay aside sin and you'll be a better Christian. But I've got two blanks here because when you read it more closely, I feel like that verse could be summarized to say lay aside every hindrance. And the first hindrance is sin. It's the second of the two listed. So lay aside the sin that ensnares us. And that, that's common sense, right? You can't try to live a Christian life dragging sin along with you. You can't say, yes, I'm a Christian and be living in a relationship or in a lifestyle or, or living in a habitual, continual sin. Those two things contradict. There's got to be repentance that takes place. There's got to be a change. I don't think anybody here would argue against that point. That it would be possible to live in sin and to still proclaim to be a Christian. That doesn't work. So the first of these two lay aside every sin. But the word and is in there. Lay aside every weight and the sin. I'd never thought about the fact that in our lives there could be weights that hinder us from being a Christian. Had y'all ever thought about that? Not sin, but just a weight that hinders us from being a Christian. Using the same analogy of a race, if you're going to train for a race, you might run with a weighted backpack on. I don't know why you would do that, but some do that. Uh, run with extra weight added to make yourself even tougher. But when it comes time to run the real race, what do you do? Uh, you take the backpack off. A fellow that almost lapped me in the last race was pushing a baby stroll. You talk about insult to injury. When you're struggling to get down the hill and he's running back the other way pushing a, a double stroller with like two eight-year-olds in there. You're doing good. Keep running, he tells me. As I'm, I'm not even running. But if you're wanting to try to win, you lay aside the weight. What are some weights in our lives that can hinder us from being a Christian? Let me step on my own toes for a minute. Sports? Basketball? Why weren't you at church last week? Oh, I was playing basketball. 
is that now a weight that's hindering me from being a Christian? Work. Hadn't seen you at church in a long time. Well, yeah, you know, I've been working a lot of overtime. Is work sin? Nope. Overtime a sin? Nope. Basketball, in my example, is sin? Nope. But are those weights that can hinder me from being a Christian? Of course. Favorite TV shows. All the best series are always on Wednesday nights. It's primetime television. What are some weights in your life that you might need to lay aside to be able to finish your Christian race? Luke chapter 14 and verse 26 says, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Church, that's not saying that you hate your father or your mother, that you don't help them when they need help. That's saying that you have to put Christ first to lay aside the weights that hold us back. Number five, you and I, if we're going to run this race, we must run it with endurance. We must run it with endurance. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says that verbatim. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not a dash. It's not a sprint. But rather it's a race that runs for our entire lives. You'll want to quit. Did you hear that? You'll want to quit as a Christian. There will be times in your lives when there's such trouble and sorrow and heartache and heartbreak that comes to you that if your faith's not deep-rooted, and even if it is deep-rooted, that you're going to struggle with continuing to maintain a faithful relationship with God. That's going to most likely happen at some point in your life. Be prepared for that. Be prepared for that. And brothers and sisters, reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ and help them through that. Revelations chapter 2 and verse 10 says we've got to be faithful even unto death and then we'll receive the crown of life. You and I have got to be careful to not flame out, to not burn out, to not find ourselves in a position to where the song that we sing with our, our kids up here for acorns to oaks, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. And it's a, a quirky little song we sing with them, but how true it is for us as an adult. When you're on fire for the Lord and you're doing great works for the Lord, Satan's going to try to find and come away to put out that flame. Don't let him do it. You and I, when we decide to enter into a race, need to have someone that we're racing with, someone that we're running with, a friend, a brother or sister to help us in our walk. Physically, I don't like running with other people. Tyler's asked me several times, hey, why don't we go run together some? Because you ran college cross country. <laughs> and I obviously did not. <laughs> I will come and drive the car behind you. <laughs> we'll talk to you out the window. I'm not running with you. You wouldn't get anything out of it. I would be a dead weight. I wouldn't get anything out of it because I'd be embarrassed. It's not beneficial to either one of them. But Tyler always tells me the same things. You say that, but it would be because I sometimes need someone to encourage me while I'm running too. Hey, show of hands, only time tonight. How many of y'all have ever needed anyone to encourage you in your Christian life? If you're up the, look around if you're up towards the front. Everybody's hand is raised. You've got to run with endurance. Sometimes you can trudge through it yourself. Sometimes the devil just won't let up. And you need someone to be there with you to encourage you. You need the prayers of the congregation to give you the extra strength to get through. We must run the race 
with endurance. And finally, uh, number six, you and I must run with a goal. You and I must run with a goal. One of the first sports both of our boys started playing was soccer. Any of y'all ever gone to watch three-year-old soccer on a Saturday morning? <laughs> there are two goals set up, but the kids out on the field don't have much of a goal other than to kick the ball. There's not a lot of strategy on how we're going to get to that goal. There's a whole lot of running around. Sometimes as Christians, I'm afraid that there's a goal set up. We're doing a lot of running around, but we don't have that goal in mind. Have you been determined this week? Have you been dedicated? Have you set aside a defined time to work towards your goal? Do you have a goal? I mean, you're running the race. Those of you that are here tonight that are Christians, you're running a race, whether you know it or not. You're running a race. Have you looked at the finish line lately? Are you still on the path that leads to the finish line? Are you still going on the path that leads to heaven? Or somewhere along the line, have you forgotten what your goal is? And, and no disrespect to our three-year-olds, but you've turned into some of the kids on the soccer field that are just running in circles because there's a ball that everybody's chasing. All oh, life is easy to get into a situation where you're chasing the ball around on the field of life and not even thinking about the goal that you're supposed to be trying to go towards. If you're here tonight as one that's put on Christ in the past, but, but, but you find yourself chasing the ball around and no focus on the finish line of the race, don't leave here that way tonight. Ask for prayers of the church. We pray with you and for you. God would forgive you. Make whatever change you need to make to get back on finishing your race. Perhaps you're one here tonight that's never began the race. You're still at the starting line. You're waiting. You see others running, and you want to uh, join into that race, but you're not sure why you haven't done that yet. You know what you need to do. You need to be baptized for remission of your sins. You know you need to repent of your sins, but you've never had the courage to push into the, to pass the starting line and to begin the race. Let tonight be your start. Baptistry's ready. There's men here willing and, and able to do that. If you need to begin this process of studying and having conversations about what that looks like in your life, we could do that as well. If we can help you in any way at all tonight, please come while we stand and sing.